0: Welcome, travelers. This is Tabletop Journeys. My name is Lee Wanika, and I am joined by several of our amazing patrons for. Session zero of the Star Trek Adventures game. That is the Star Trek Adventures RPG by Modiphius Entertainment, and the game we will be playing is Star Trek Preservation. I have fallen in love with this system for a whole host of reasons, many of which we'll get into today, and many more of which we'll get into over the next few weeks and months as we are beginning an actual play series with our patrons for the whole world to listen to today. We'll get into the details, the setup of this actual play series that we're going to be running with our patrons as well as we're going to build characters we're going to do a couple other cool things that go along with building characters in this session zero so before we get started with all of that i would like to welcome our patrons i'm going to turn this over to the players the people who are technically running the show because they're the ones that drive the story i'm just going to set the stage they're the actors who are going to turn it out for us today I'm going to start with our newest patron. Joe, would you be kind enough to introduce yourself and throw us your Star Trek bonafides?
2: Absolutely. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And before I get too far in, this is a collaborative endeavor, so I'm looking forward to working with everyone to make this a wonderful game. My name is Joe Harney, and I come to Star Trek the old-fashioned way, which was as a young boy, TNG was on television weekly. And I watched the entire series up through that on a week basis into Deep Space Nine and have just consumed Star Trek throughout my entire life growing up. And it's found to be the formative, hopeful vision of the future, which I think a lot of media and a lot of science fiction has lacked over time. And so to have that utopian version of it has been a great thing to work from. As for my Star Trek Adventures, I've been running a Star Trek Adventures game for close on four years now. I started in late 2018. We survived through the pandemic and transitioned to an online Roll20 version, and then once we came back, we've shifted back to in-person play. I'm really excited to get an opportunity to play the system. I think the game system itself is an amazing vehicle for telling stories And I look forward to working with everyone and having a great time.
0: Excellent. Thanks so much, Joe. Again, thank you for joining the Tabletop Journeys community. Thanks for joining the patron and thanks for joining this crew. We're going to have a lot of fun. I have no doubts. And don't worry too much if I lean on you for some help. This is my very first time playing Star Trek Adventures let alone uh, game mastering it. I am a veteran game master, and so I have no doubt in my story and my storytelling abilities, but some of the rules mechanics I may need to lean so we can keep the flow of the story going, and that way I can bookmark spots so I can go back to and get some of the picky details down. But the beauty of this system from what I've seen is there really isn't that many picky details. It's so much about story that it just flows. As long as you have that, Basic Mechanic set, which we're going to discuss, should be good to roll. Dave, if you'd be so kind as to reintroduce yourself to the Tabletop Journeys audience, as they have no doubt heard your voice a few times, but I'd love to hear your Star Trek bonafides as well.
3: Yeah, I'm David. I got introduced to Star Trek by my father as long back as I can remember from what I've heard as a baby. He used to sit me up and we used to watch original series together, and I can remember catching the premiere of TNG when I was in college and have been watching Star Trek religiously since then. Caught, tried to catch every show. I'm in the middle of a rewatch of Voyager right now. I've not played Star Trek Adventures yet, but back in the day I have played, I am a veteran of the old FASA Star Trek role-playing game. I'm eager to try this one. I've read through the rules and I got to admit, I like how much simpler this is comparing it back to the old FASA rules. Yeah.
0: This looks like it's going to be a nice, easy to learn, fast system. Yep, that's been my experience so far. Jen,
4: General- I am Jen and longtime player and friend of the podcast and how did i get into star trek unfortunately i started superfluously watching star trek original with my mother and was not a huge fan don't hate me loved their the og movies didn't really like the original series all that much but when tng came out i was all over and i loved it and was one of those weirdo girls that fan crushed on data and yeah yeah <laughs> That's me.
0: I think he's crushworthy. I think that's I think that's a fair assessment.
4: Oh yeah, for the most emotionally unavailable person out there.
0: There's a deeper conversation there, but we'll jump into that <laughs> at a later <laughs> time. <laughs>
2: Fully functional.
4: Yeah. That.
0: Yeah. <laughs> All right. And we're going to move right along. Dan, welcome again. Introduce yourself. Throw us your Star Trek bonafides. Daniel, uh, you might
3: know me as candy or oscar still waiting to bring oscar back but i again got in early with the original series enjoyed it fell in love with the next generation and i am a deep space nine fanatic cisco all the way all the time
4: husband's favorite too yeah (laughs) excellent i respect that
0: greatly And what I really liked about Deep Space Nine is it brought in a bit of that gritty realism that I was living during the 90s, but still didn't take away that hope on the back end of it and still was fighting for that. And so that's what's important to me as a fan and as a viewer of Star Trek. And uh, we'll find out that is actually part of where this campaign comes in. It has to do with that theme specifically. Scott? Scott? Hi, hello, my name is Scott.
1: What's brought me to Star Trek? I grew up watching the original series on TV. Watched the uh, the original motion picture. Saw Wrath of Khan in the movie theaters with my uh, with my dad and my brother when we were kids. Um, quickly discovered that only uh, it was every other one was the good ones. Next Generation came out. We uh, started watching that. I recorded that on the old beta machine that uh, we had and then uh, started collecting the collector cards for uh, TOS and the next gen. And continue watching the variations up until after Voyager, I think is when I stopped finally watching. But given the opportunity to, uh, to
0: play the, uh, the role-playing game is something I couldn't pass up on. Awesome. Thank you very much. You're not wrong about the every other one discussion. I think every Star Trek film has at least something worthwhile, but every other one is something really special. So I absolutely agree with you on that. And Chad, what brings you here today? And throw us your Star Trek bonafides.
2: Oh, Star Trek started for me when I was in high school, and all I'm going to say is, Counselor Deanna Troy <laughs> Caught my attention immediately, and then I saw the combat, Worf, very Jedi, and I was hooked
0: instantly. Absolutely. And for me, it was Tenet Tasha Yar. I just loved the fact that in that first season, until that terrible episode that should remain nameless, skin of evil. She was the one I took notice of in season one. There was something to me that was very cool about a strong woman in a security position. Like the safety and security of the ship was in her hands, her responsibility. And I thought she was... Brilliant at the role. They obviously didn't do enough with the character, hence Miss Crosby's uh, dissatisfaction with the role. Whole lot of conversation there. We might just have to do an episode on that someday. Heather, would you kindly introduce yourself and give us your Star Trek bona fides? How did you come to this great hobby of ours?
3: Oh, my name is Heather, and I have been watching Star Trek since the original series. And I very clearly remember being very excited my first year of college. When Next Generation came out and bribing my downstairs neighbor in my college dorm, who had the only television set, to go watch that in his room. And the bribe was I would carry all his dirty dishes from his room down to our kitchen, our mutual kitchen. Yeah, it was gross. But I did it for Star (laughs) Trek. Yeah, I've been doing this a little while. I'm not to the point of dressing up and going to conventions, but I've enjoyed the whole world, so I'm looking forward to playing in it.
0: Excellent. Adam. Sure. I'm um, Adam. I think my
2: earliest memories of Star Trek were watching it with my – but the one that I remember the most clearly was going with him to see the first motion picture movie in the, in the theaters. And that just opened my eyes to Star Trek. And I've been a fan ever since. I'm always a sci-fi geek. This is something about Star Trek that's – it's comforting.
0: It, it's home yeah <laughs> yeah jeremy jeremy as lee
1: introduced me i guess mostly i paid the most attention to next generation picard was always my favorite character i never really liked Riker, <laughs> but i liked all of the characters like jordy and obviously data but as far as like voyager and stuff later on like i like janeway but I didn't pay too much attention to, I guess, a lot of the other characters on the show. I liked the idea of Seven of Nine being a Borg character that could be something other than a destructive force of nature. So I thought that was a really cool introduction to the show, especially toward the end of Generations, where we got Picard to be assimilated for a little while and stuff like that.
0: Excellent. You wounded me greatly by not liking Riker, my number one (laughs) character in all of Star Trek (laughs) fandom. No, in all seriousness, the beauty of Star Trek is everybody can find somebody to latch onto as their person, as their access point to this immersive and immense and immeasurable world of Awesome, and we don't necessarily have to agree on who that entrance point is. Marty, would you be kind enough to introduce yourself and toss us your Star Trek bonafides?
2: Marty, I am a longtime role player that was out of it for many years. I did the extent in the Marines, and then have recently been brought back into the fold, mostly by. Two of the three uh, tabletop journeys. People, So I have a lot of experience with Game Mastering, a lot of experience with, with sci-fi in general. Love it. And uh, I remember the first time watching Star Trek was my dad he used to watch it as reruns because he used to watch it when it first came out on TV and he liked it. So that's my first experience with it. And I watched TNG, kind of fell off. Didn't really watch DS9 or uh, Voyager when it was out, but I did watch Babylon 5 and... Loved Battle Star Galactica, all that stuff. So, love the sci-fi background. Starting to get back into DS9 and Voyager now. And uh, like you said, I'm in the middle of a Voyager rewatch as well. Love the stories of Star Trek. Love sci-fi stories in general. And uh, looking forward to seeing how this game works. No experience with this game system at all. Or any Star Trek game, no, for that
3: matter.
0: The beauty of this D20 Modifia system specifically as it applies to Star Trek is it is not designed to be D&D in space. It is designed to be... A method to role play the Star Trek episodes you watch on TV and it's a very different headspace both as a game master and for players I'm gonna do my best to describe things as cinemagraphically as possible keep our scenes and our action sequences and things like that in that cinemagraphic style that's more on my shoulders and it's designed so you can play it like any of the shows you want so along those lines what I'm shooting for is a campaign style that is series style that's going to be semi-episodic with story arcs.
2: The 2D20 system from Modiphius in general has been described by a lot of people as a genre simulation system depending on how what parts and what pieces you emphasize in the mechanical sense you can replicate how a lot of genre stories are told with Star Trek you've got the six attributes, you've got the six command disciplines, the three divisions and the subdivisions that are set up, and they feed right into the values and talents in Star Trek Adventures that you start out as ultra-competent, experienced Starfleet officers. The base game starts you off as a experienced Starfleet officer who given an unlimited amount of time and ability will accomplish anything and so the system is really designed of when the characters are under pressure when they don't have an unlimited amount of time they have someone shooting at them they have some sort of external pressure on them that's when you go to the mechanical system you don't have to ever roll to pilot a shuttle craft to where you need to go if it's just part of the story.
0: I love that aspect. I have no doubt that when you put that, that level of energy and fun into Star Trek, it can't help but be anything but amazing. Setting the stage. By design, the campaign is going to be modeled after DS9 in many ways. It is The plan is to be semi-episodic, yet have story arcs. So that is definitely where we're kind of going with this. It will not be full-on like the Discovery or the Picard series, but it will certainly not be less than the uh, arc-slash-episodic nature of DS9. There will be themes that carry over. Some episodes will carry immediately into other episodes and some episodes will be like oh that was two weeks ago when we last met or it might have been a month ago time will advance as the campaign goes on true to star trek adventures fashion this is set up like a television series i will do my best to refer to as opposed to sessions i will refer to episodes As as opposed to a campaign, I will refer to seasons. So our season one is coming up. We're going to have our pilot episode. We should be recording that next month. Dates will go out within the next four days. That recorded. When we record our episodes, we will break those episodes about hour blocks, maybe hour 15, depending where the scenes break. Generally, I am thinking there will be four four parts per episode as far as the way that's going to air as an actual play. That brings us to... Themes, setting, and tone. So, Star Trek Preservations is going to be a series delving into and dealing with the preservation of Federation holdings, ideals, their security, and lives. It's as seen through the lives of a patrol ship assigned to a nearly completed deep space station on the frontier of a Federation space. This is in the wake of the Dominion War, so we are talking post-Dominion War by a few years. We're actually going to start in twenty-three seventy-eight, and which reminds me, I am going to send you all a link to Owl Bear, and then I'm going to put up a nice little graphic on Owl Bear for you. Let me know when you all are can see that. I've got Adam. Access Again? granted. Access granted. Excellent. Mm-hmm. A brief shout out to the folks at Owlbear because they are both amazing and wonderful because it's very simple. There's zero programming from the user end of this. It is literally upload pictures in certain things and you put it there. So it works great for me who's not highly technological. All right. And that is our timeline to kind of fit you all in. 2370 is the end of Star Trek Next Gen the series 2371 shows the is the generations movie with the destruction of the enterprise d the death of captain kirk final death of captain kirk william shatner's book beta canon is not part of this series that is left out i'll keep Zodi, but shatner's stuff no that's yeah yeah <laughs> Deep cut there for those who know. First Contact was 2373, Insurrection 2375, End of the Dominion War was, as shown on DS9, was 2375, Voyager returned home in 2378, End of the Voyager series, and this this series starts some a short time after Voyager has returned home. Now, there is going to be an interesting way this series is going to work and a time jump between the pilot episode and the remainder of the series. Essentially, the crew that we're assembling is going to be the graduating class from Starfleet Academy 2378.
2: Putting the timeline in my own head, has the Nemesis event happened in our timeline canon? Nemesis? 2378-9.
0: Nemesis yep. event has not happened when we open up this this series. Okay. Our pilot episode is going to be one of a series of tests following the Kobayashi Maru that all Starfleet officers take in some fashion or another. For any familiar with the book, the Kobayashi Maru from the 80s, one of my favorite Star Trek novels of all time, there is not just the Kobayashi Maru. There's a number of tests that are done, simulations and things like that with holodeck technology. They can do a lot more of them and they're very specific to areas of study and they help Starfleet with deciding where people have strengths, weaknesses, where they should be posted, and lots of high-profile admirals pay attention to top top tier students and how they perform in these tests. So you're, we're going to open with one of these simulations. So your characters will know you're in a simulation, but this is whether I get assigned to the best ship or the worst ship. It's like the NFL draft is coming up. Do you want to be around one pick or do you want to be around six or seven? Well, though due respect to Mr. Purdy, who obviously proved a lot of people wrong. But essentially, that's what this test is about. This fits two specific purposes for the group. We are going to be using the Starter Set Adventure Module for that pilot episode. The idea being the Starter Set is specifically geared to teach the STA game and the 2D20 system Step by step. It was not originally part of my plan, but about two or three months ago, after a number of different conversations with folks in the community and watching some great interviews on the Continuing Conversations YouTube channel or YouTube show, um, I definitely said this is the way to start the campaign. So your academy test is going to be this opening adventure. So you get to know each other, get to know your characters, how they work. As players in meta, You get if there's something you selected that doesn't quite work the way you thought it might work, it gives us the perfect opportunity to change that up. No harm, no foul. That way we're all playing the characters that we want to play and will enjoy playing. So that's going to be part of the pilot. That said, there will be some modest adjustments to that because I am instituting – My series story and my series story arc will also begin in this pilot episode. So, some things are coming straight from the book and some things are coming straight from my mind. That's the setup of that pilot episode. At the end of that, your characters will be assigned to wherever their ships are assigned. Two years later, you will all be called in and assigned to this new space station and it's one of its associated assigned ships. That's where all you, all of you who together on this, on this Kobayashi Maru, will come back together for the first time, and that's where the rest of the series picks up proper. As we're building the characters, there is a space that will be there that we are going to fill in to build your characters now, but that section we will not be using in the pilot episode because technically it hasn't happened yet. SCA uses a life path model to build characters, so when we get to that stage of your life path, it won't have happened when we start the pilot, but it will have happened when we do the rest of the game. So we're going to build it now, ignore it for the pilot, and then it'll be there waiting for you on the other end. And I'll get into a deeper explanation of how that's going to play out at that time. As far as tone, individual episodes will vary there's going to be some episodes that are going to be mysteries there's going to some there are going to be some episodes that are going to be hard sci-fi there's going to be some that are going to be a moral dilemma or moral drama and there's some that might that are going to be more action oriented it is going to be a Star Trek show however the overall theme and tone is really going to be built by the players it's going to be what you gravitate to it's going to be the kinds of things that you get into and hold on to so while i have some plot outlines along the way it is going to be driven quite a bit by the stories you all are telling as we go but i do expect that part of this is going to be showing a bit of that gritty roll up your sleeves can do do things you're on the frontier resources are not scarce but they're also not absolutely easy to get support is around not absolutely easy to get. There are going to be areas around you that are somewhat hostile, but not open war. There's going to be conflicts of variant natures. There are pre-warp civilizations that need to be avoided. There are post-warp civilizations that are not part of the Federation, and there's very variant levels of interaction. A lot of those types of things will take place. The goal is wherever we end up, Or however we get there, that's the story that we collectively are telling. This is Starfleet. And in general, though there can be exceptions because of flaws, situations, and we are talking about characters who just got through a major war that tested a lot of these beliefs. Starfleet doesn't shoot first. Starfleet hails before they take action. Starfleet is about exploration They're about finding a better way, finding a different way. Even the hardened veterans who are grizzled and calloused about their ideals and their belief as far as what other people will do to Starfleet. Most of the characters we come across, except for the ones that have fully jumped the shark and become villains, still wish – they could be the Starfleet of old and still wish they could find that better way. So I have no problem if an individual player wants to tow that line, but their general demeanor, and I'm going to use a Vampire the Masquerade term here, nature and demeanor, regardless of your nature, which would be how you truly feel about that, your demeanor and your outward actions are pretty consistently going to be towing the Starfleet line. If somebody's talking... You don't shoot them. There's no, you're not torturing people or anything like that. Those are the things that's not part of Starfleet shows typically. If we were going to do a single episode and go into a dark, we would talk about almost have a semi-session zero so we can say, hey, in this episode, this might get a little dark. We might break the norm here to show contrast to Starfleet, but the whole series is not about that contrast. Just something to keep in mind. This is a post-Dominion War game, so some of the themes we're going to discuss will touch on some topics that can be a little tough. First of all, all writing is political, right? All games on some level can touch on the political. How political we get varies. Your mileage may vary there, but more importantly – All Star Trek is political. There are grognards who seem to think that it wasn't or it wasn't, but they're foolish. Star Trek has always been political. It has always been about social commentary. It's always been about a way to to highlight, spotlight, or shine a light on elements of our society, either the ones we like, we don't like. The ones we question, the ones we're confident in, the ones we're unsure about, and the future the future we may possibly have. That's what Star Trek has always been about. Star Trek preservations will not be different than that from a thematic standpoint. That said, I am very focused on making sure we are cognizant of and respectful of peoples and concerns and wants for a role playing game because at the end I do want this to be fun here at Tabletop Journeys. Lines and veils are of critical importance to me as a player. I want to make sure we're respectful of all of those things. I always start with my lines and veils so that if yours match those you don't have to worry about mentioning them. Just say I'm good but if there's something outside of what I've mentioned feel free to do so. If you're not comfortable doing so in this setting When we're done, just message me. I tend to use a lines and veils style, but there's always effectively an X card. It doesn't have to be an X card. It doesn't have to be a signal. At any point, anybody in my games can say, hey, we're going too far. Can we please stop? And I will immediately do, we'll pause any recording, I can take that player aside, find out what's happening, see what we can do to work away from that. I strongly believe in creating a safe table, creating a safe environment that everybody feels comfortable with. By all means, if there's anything that you think is an absolute no, let's not get into that. Don't hesitate to at any point to say. As far as my lines and veils, we are talking about a post-Dominion War epic. When you talk about a society such as the Cardassians who are now coming out of being types of organizations that did that kind of thing, um, that's something where there's going to be conversations – left unsaid, but it is still part of the lore. For example, the existence of Children of War, and I'll leave it at that. When the conversation of mixed heritage children, specifically Cardassians and Bajorans, the decision was we might refer to it as a Children of War kind of scenario, and we will not discuss any details beyond that. That, That's one of the decisions that that everybody felt comfortable with, and I will be checking in with a couple of the players just to see their feelings on that because I don't want to cross that as a line. I want people to feel safe. This is a Star Trek show So in general, if you have not seen it, that type of thing in the episodes or the movies, you're not going to see it here. I'm not breaking new ground. I'm not trying to bring Game of Thrones to Star Trek. That's the most – and I love Game of Thrones. That's not a disparagement towards them. It's a different media. It's a different tone. It's a different theme. They are totally different things. In general –
2: no, I want a Romulan game based off Game of Thrones. You just did that to me.
0: <laughs> Any type of overt sexual and romantic situations are going to be off screen. That's what I call a veil. It's going to be that, that old school, they go into the room and the doors close. Or the lights go down, we move to the next scene. There will be no on screen harm of children. However, the game will likely include the possibility of natural disaster. This is a Star Trek show. Natural disasters happen in Star Trek all the time. The graphic nature of what we show and blew up. That's a horrible event, right? They showed that in Star Wars, but those types of things could happen. There could be a destruction that impacts a planet or impacts a continent, but I would not show individuals being maimed in those situations. I would simply talk about the the demographics of it all. 100,000 people were harmed or lost their lives or we were able to save X, but so many died, so many were injured, that type of thing. So I will. my goal is not to show the graphic nature of these types of things, but there are episodes that I've got planned that could end up in the horror vein. So you might see some dramatic horror uh, a la Alien, the first movie with less graphic nature, but still that level of thing. So that's where I'm going with things. We are a PG-13 podcast. We try to limit the swears. As PG-13, there's officially allowed one F-bomb per episode. That's usually Glenn Myers' job to take that up. But if he's not in the episode, that's a free-for-all. Y'all can call dibs on that if you like. thing that's done, we tend to bleep for comedic effect. In-episode or in-character, we would probably have to look at that. We might just edit it out. So just keep that in mind as you're role-playing your characters. Though I thought the way they did it in Generations, the Damn and Oh Shit from Data were perfectly timed and mm-hmm. absolutely amazing. And I don't want to – I'm not the language police I don't intend to be the language police, but I'm the editor, so I'll fix it in post if I think it's graphic or going to take away from our ability to be Star Trek. That's my piece on that. If anybody has any lines or veils, I guess I'll just go around the room. Marty, is there anything that you're concerned with or or whatever? I'm not concerned with any of my own personal lines or veils. I'm just worried about and crushing on other
1: people as being a Marine for 20 years there's not a whole lot that affects me as far as lines of veils goes and I've seen a lot of stuff and especially as I get more comfortable I may be the one that's slipping that F-bomb in
2: there so <laughs> make sure you're keeping an eye on me for those kind of slips
0: yeah we will do Dave?
3: okay I realized this Star Trek was so probably not going to be a big matter but smoking
4: okay That's
0: that's the only one I've got. All right, so I I have long ago, probably at least as long as television has stopped showing character smoking, unless they Mm -hmm. happen to be a bad guy. I just it's not a big part of anything, and I don't think it's whatever. But I can certainly make sure that's not a factor in any NPCs. It would never be a central issue either.
3: Yeah, like it's Star Trek. There's not a lot of smokers in Star Trek, but I just thought I'd bring it up since it's a thing for me. Absolutely. And Joe? Yeah, I'm pretty
2: good with uh, what we've gotten so far. I am a big believer of Roddenberry in like season one Trek where the conflict is not interpersonal, but with the environment or more towards not that to say that we can't have any interpersonal drama, but. At the end of the day, we're all the, I find the crew are friend, if not very close professional colleagues, we're f- real good friends. And so that level of like deep animosity, I'll say it out loud, D and D the rogue stealing from everyone is not in the theme of the, of Star Trek. So we can have some, I would say we can have dramatic tensions but they need to be resolved quickly and harmoniously and with the consent of both players involved. Don't pick a fight unless you've pre-cleared it with someone else.
0: That's a very good one. I tend to think of that along the lines of this is Starfleet. We're generally playing on that within nature and demeanor. But I would concur. I think if there's going to be an inter-party conflict, okay, I'm from this background or I was on this ship. We had a rivalry with your ship. How do we want to play that up? I would encourage players, and I've got a method perfect for working that out off-camera, off-screen, so that we know how to build that in. I would say to those players, cue me in so can pay attention to those conversations so I can give the players the opportunity to show that drama and show the resolution of that drama because that's one of the things that as a, as a game master or director in this case, I need to help create the scenes for those to be showcased. I think there's greatness in that. I think that's what DS9 did very well. Not all of those characters got along, but they – eventually all got along and they all worked together for the common goal the directors and the plot writers had to create plots to allow that to happen but the actors choices and the writers who worked on the way the characters interacted had to make that all mesh and that and i think we can absolutely do that talking with the other players like hey let's have this out or let's not have this out we can work that out or we can work that out will be the way to do that
2: yeah we can have drama but it does need to be
0: resolvable
3: yep. absolutely but basically your comment base sounds like this is going to be star trek not battlestar galactica
0: yeah pretty much yeah and i that, that's what i love battlestar galactica but that's a different that's a different theme that's not what we're going for that's mm-hmm. not star trek preservations so
2: i'm also not a, i'm also not a super fan of the deus ex machina that is q i've never seen q brought into a role-playing game and be used effectively dramatically I'm sure you could probably pull it off, but to date, I haven't experienced it. So I tend to leave the continuum, like captains and above are brief that the continuums exist, and to punch the call, help, Starfleet button if one ever shows up. But I've always, as a personal preference, left that out of my game.
0: So my love of John Delancey's acting and his role of Q knows absolutely no bounds. Even though retrospectives have said some of his Q episodes in Voyager were not great, those were episodes that, when I found out they existed, I sought them out and watched those remarkably out of order because I just like watching John Delancey on film. I think the Q is great, but there has to be a very specific story. I'm working on developing this character or this character relationship in order to do that. I can say just as a conceit, I have no such plans in this game for that. I do think Star Trek in general is replete with here's an all-powerful character or concept that you just have to negotiate with or find your way out of. I think Q is on the upper end of that. Even when I play fantasy games, sword and board, I tend to play more gritty down-to-earth, less ultra-powerful, super... Agile-type games anyway. That's not my style of game I run. So you're not likely to see something like that in my game, but I do appreciate the comment, so keep that in mind. What you may get is some cute references to it, just because I like to needle my players a little bit for kicks and giggles. <laughs> <Perfect. laughs> All in fun. Yeah, but no, there are no plans for a or continuum-type stories within, within this series. Right. At least not season one. If I ever get a great idea for one, we yeah. may revisit. Jen, I saw you had a hand up.
4: Only because I wanted to halfway piggyback on that and point out that as a Bajoran-Cardassian, it's likely, and I wrote it down this way, and if anybody has a problem with it, I can probably rework it, but it's very likely that her mother was not a willing participant in the Uh. production of my character because I already had decided she wasn't a collaborator. Uh, So just putting that out there in case it came up in roleplay or whatever. Yeah,
0: generally... I think it is something that we won't touch on screen in any fashion and just going. And I know one of the players in the game typically has a hard line on that topic in general. Yep. So I'm fine with that as being the backstory, what we put on air, what we bring out in most of the games won't be there. I think there's an understanding generally of Majoran-Cardassian relations relations (laughs) that – some of them may not have been necessarily consensual and we'll probably not be dealing with some of the trauma that comes along with that necessarily. Correct. But if you use that to inform your character decisions, that's absolutely within your purview. If you choose to not use that within the uh, to inform your character decisions, that's also within your purview.
4: Like I said, oh. I wrote down already most of a page of backstory. I even have a name already. You and I can talk about some of that stuff later. Sure.
0: Joe, did you have a question or comment? I
2: No, I think I'm good. Okay. I know. I generally just refer to it as a child of war,
0: and then leave it at that. I'm yeah. That's that. That's probably how we'll handle that. I feel safe. Excellent.
1: Yeah. If we're in the the theme of Star
0: Trek, I like the way they handled a lot of things, and we just continue doing that. Yeah, I don't think Star Trek ever really crossed anything for me. There were a couple episodes where I'm like, wow, that was uncomfortable, but none of them went too far. They covered the material in a way that made me aware and understand that's a serious issue, and then they brought it back from that edge. If at any point something changes or there's something that concerns somebody, stop, let us know. That is the main character. There will be a hero ship. That hero ship is going to be assigned to a star base on the outskirts, and it's not gonna be a DS9 type setup, because this is this starbase is being built, and it is not 100% complete at the time you guys are getting assigned, and there are neighboring systems. I actually have designed the sector already, and I have at least one of the systems and one of the people already set up, and the idea is that there are a number of non-federation societies that you're gonna be dealing with, at various stages of connection some of them have no interest in being part of the federation but they are federation trade partners there are others who are on route to becoming part of the federation and all of the nuances that go within that there is a a certain amount of gritty roll up your sleeves get the job done and there's going to be the negotiations transporting ambassadors trade missions negotiations medical supply missions all those types of things are out there and possibilities we're all players in the game I want you all to be playing the thing that, that's the most fun and be able to work together. Just keep that in mind as you're picking your role. I picked a ship that has enough options. Even if you aren't the department head, let's say you somebody wants to be the con officer on the ship. It is entirely possible and probable. Let's say there are two players that really wanted that role. I would make both of you con officers. You're just on two different shifts. It'll be my job to find a story reason why both kind officers are involved if both players happen to be playing at the same time. Don't worry if we duplicate things. That's not a big deal. And then the only change to that is when we get into building supporting characters, which we're also going to do today. You won't likely need your supporting character to be – if none of you pick the science officer, your supporting character doesn't have to be a science officer. Just make them part of the science department. And then if that way, if somebody else picks a science officer, they'll take the science officer role, the lead of the department role, and you'll have one of the people on their team as a supporting character. And if nobody takes that science officer role, then yours would become the science officer just by virtue of the fact that we didn't have a player that took that role. So just be aware for the supporting character, pick your department, pick your general focus and what you're doing, and then we'll use those supporting characters to fill in any role that might be missing that way. This is not a situation where if nobody takes the ship's doctor, you have to be the ship's doctor. So and you get more than one character in this game? Yes. We're going to get into that well, in the mechanics. We're about to jump into yeah. that, Marty. But this, you're going to love this, Marty. Because Star Trek Adventures is the kind of game where guess what you can do, and it's not a bad thing. You can split the party. Split the party. Uh,
2: so I could be a red shirt?
0: You can. Absolutely. You can. <laughs> it was actually one of the things that made me say... Really? Oh, yes. Yeah.
2: The um, great thing about it, too, is that it, like, you could always have done it, but by putting it in the book as they did, Modiphius yes. gave you explicit permission to play in this regard. So you don't have to come up with a reason why the captain and the chief engineer and the flight officer and the botanist go on every away mission.
0: Because it never made sense. And when I, I know when I played last Unicorn games and I had a couple of really nice adventures that, that were really good. I'm like, but there's no reason for this character to be here. And that doesn't happen often with Star Trek because the rules are actually very open and fluid as a general rule. But, It does happen. It does happen. And when it doesn't make sense, it's glaring that it doesn't make (laughs) sense. It just breaks that suspension of disbelief. So the game just builds in this way to do it. And it also gives you permission to really have your character do something else. My character really needs to focus on X, Y, or Z. If there is an ongoing task, for example, I'll explain that later, and your science officer needs to be doing this in the background, Let's say there's a, a fetch quest, get item X in order to make make device Y. Meanwhile, science officer has to develop technology Z. Science officer has an extended task doing that. He can't be part of all of these other things. So that, again, is a situation where... That really hurts storytelling. Now the player playing the science officer can do that and be very successful and be doing something meaningful with his character. But he has a supporting character that might be a security officer that along with the away team get doing the fetch quest piece of the episode's adventure. I think yeah, that this is just a brilliant design. And there's the great
2: mechanic is if you keep going back to the same supporting character, you can eventually promote him to a major NPC, kind of Chief O'Brien style. Yep. We saw him, and we saw him, and we saw him, and then he became a recurring character, and then on to the, being a main character. So that really captured that essence.
0: Now, because I had the hero ship and it's part of the plot, I didn't want to change that, but I wanted to give players the ability to do something. So my decision is... Y'all are going to get to design one of the shuttles that are on the ship that you'll get to use throughout the course of the campaign. So you'll be able to really pull that out and do some cool things and, and that. So there'll be one shuttle for you three to work on, and there'll be a shuttle for the other group to work on together. And PCL, and we'll get that built today as well.
1: One question, that will probably get a lot of hate if it you probably might want to edit this out,
0: but are we pertained Discovery doesn't exist? Not exactly, but it has very little bearing on what I'm doing. And the reason why I say not exactly is because Discovery obviously exists in the element of Strange New Worlds, which I think might end up being one of the best Star Trek shows ever made. I think the answer for me is because Discovery is definitely part of Strange New Worlds, I will certainly consider it canon. Um, But it has no bearing. Nothing they did – lasted beyond when they left. That was actually one of the things they did that I thought was brilliant. They basically said, we're going to so far in the future, it doesn't impact anything that's going on currently. And since everything they were doing was top secret, nobody really knows what they were doing and it's all gone. I think the need to make a blanket statement there
1: is probably
0: non-existent. Okay.
1: I just want to make sure as I'm aligning myself with the official
0: lore that I know which parts to ignore. You can ignore it because it's unlikely your character would have even heard about it. (laughs) That's probably, that is probably the easiest way to do it. I will say along those regards, Klingons never looked like that. I think the language they used there was great. And I think it was still the original Klingon language anyway, but, and I like the way they did the effects they put on their voices when they did their speaking roles and spoken Klingon. But I think that's Mm -hmm. cool, but they never looked like that. I'm just, no. (laughs) (laughs) It's just another one to quote Worf. It's a long story. And then he just (laughs) moved on with his (laughs) prune juice or whatever.